Welcome to Parramatta Baptist Church Online. If you met me, my name is Steve Bates. I'm one of the pastors in this place. Thanks for joining us as we continue our preaching series on the characteristics of Jesus that attracted people to him. And specifically today, I want to look at the strong convictions that Jesus held. Now, the Oxford Dictionary defines a conviction as a firmly held belief or a firmly held opinion. And we all have one of them, at least one of them. They're not just the thoughts we have, they're not just the ideas that appeal to us, but they are beliefs or opinions that we are convinced are true. Hence the word convictions. These are things that we are convinced are true. And because we are convinced that they're true, we act on our convictions. We base our decisions in life on them, both the big decisions in life, but also the day-to-day decisions. So our convictions are really important. Now, let me give you an example from a long time ago of just a day-to-day decision that I made based on my convictions. Now, as a 12-year-old, I was fairly convinced. In fact, I was absolutely convinced that I could tell the difference between a 50-cent and a 12-cent coin. The 50-cent coin has 12 sides. Very easy to feel and to see. That's a 50-cent coin. Whereas the 20-cent coin, round. Now, they're both silver. They kind of look the same, but I knew the difference between a 50-cent coin and a 20-cent coin. So one day, I go to the markets. I see something for 50 cents. I hand over a $1 note which I told you it was a while ago, uh, and the guy gives me 20 cents back. As a 12-year-old, I still had strong opinions, and I had a strong conviction that I knew a 20-cent coin when I knew it. So I said to him, excuse me, you've given me the wrong change. Now, he's serving someone else. He looks at the coin, and he says, I've given you the right change, kid, go away. Not prepared to back down, because I knew I was right. I said, excuse me, the item you sold me was 50 cents. I gave you a $1 note, and you've given me 20 cents. He says to me, he said, look at the, look at the coin, kid, 50-cent coin. Now, I learned something important that day, that in New Zealand, 50-cent coins round. This is a New Zealand 50-cent coin. Australia may have 12-sided coins, but not New Zealand. That's just an everyday example of a conviction that I got wrong. But the point I want to make is that our convictions change over time. As we learn, as we experience things, they change over time. A more significant one for me um, happened when I was 19 years of age, when I was, for the first 19 years of my life, I was convinced that there was no God. That was my conviction that there was no God. Then, at the age of 19, I had an experience that challenged that conviction, and over the ensuing years, began to become convinced and began to be convinced that not only did God exist, but that he revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. There's something else about convictions. Having strong convictions doesn't necessarily attract people to you. Now, I had a strong conviction about the 50-cent coin. That certainly did not attract anybody there um, to me at the time. I think they just thought I was an annoying little brat. In fact, people can hold strong convictions, strong beliefs, strong opinions that we would find downright ugly or offensive. And when it came to Jesus, the things that he said and things that he did that people found offensive as well. But vast majority of people were attracted to him. In vast numbers, they were attracted to him and the convictions that he spoke of. But they were attracted, I don't believe, not so much because of his convictions that he held, because of the way he lived them out. And this is what we've been talking about in the past five weeks. So with Jesus' convictions, he lived them out in the context of a really sincere and deep relationship with God. With his convictions, he exercised them with spiritual authority. With his convictions, he showed genuine compassion to people, love and grace. And they also saw that he lived out his his convictions with integrity. He had a flawless character. So one last thing about convictions. Where we get our convictions from really matters. Where we learn them from really matters. 
Now, also, when I was a kid, I used to love reading. One of my favourite books I had at home was a book of fables, Aesop's Fables. One of my favourite stories was the story of a father, a son, and their donkey. So the father and the son want to go to market, and they take their donkey with them. And so the three of them are walking along to market. As they're walking towards the town, uh, this man calls out to them. He says, idiot, you've got a donkey. Why don't you ride it? But the father goes, all right, I guess I should. So he puts his son on the donkey, and they're going along. Father, son, and donkey, son on the donkey. They come across a couple of men. And the men see what's going on, and they see the son on the donkey, and they say, look at at that inconsiderate youth on the donkey while his poor old father has to walk. His father hears this thing and goes, oh, okay, maybe I should do something different. So the father takes the son off the donkey, and he gets on the donkey. As they're going along, father, son, and donkey, two women come by, and one of them says to the other, look at that inconsiderate man. Poor old son, poor young son, I should say, is forced to walk while the father just rides along. Now, by this stage, the father is very confused. He comes up with an idea and he says, I know, we'll both get on the donkey. And so the father and the son get on the donkey and they ride into town. Just before they enter town, people start calling out abuse to them. And to the father, they're saying, shame on you, shame on you, overloading your poor donkey. Like that. By this stage, He's really confused. So they both get off the donkey. They scratch their head and they think, think, and they think, and they think a bit more, and they finally come up with an idea. They go and they cut down a pole, and they take the donkey and they tie the donkey's legs to either end of the pole. And then they lift up the pole and the donkey on their shoulders. They walk into town carrying the donkey on the pole, the laughter of everybody who sees them. Now, the story ends quite grimly for the donkey, so I won't tell you how that goes. But the point of the story is really clear. Who are you listening to? Where are you getting your convictions from? See, if you're listening to the opinions of others to make your own convictions, you're going to get really confused and you can come up with some really strange ideas. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I want my convictions to reflect the convictions of Jesus. My convictions are what shape my decisions, the big ones in life and the day-to-day decisions that I make in life. I want my decisions to align Jesus with his convictions and to base it on him and his word. This is what the disciples did. They took on Jesus' convictions and they sought to live them out as he did. And they lived them out as he did in the way in which they had a relationship with God, with genuine compassion, exercising spiritual authority, um, love and truth and grace and with integrity. So not surprisingly, when we read the book of Acts, we see vast numbers of people being attracted to the first disciples, to the early church, placing their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord David. And the encouragement for us today as disciples of Jesus Christ, as followers of him, is to also live Christ-imitating lives, the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit. Look at the convictions of Jesus and allow them to become our convictions. Be salt and light in every place God has called us to. So here are four of Jesus' convictions. These are the ones that really jump out at me as I read through the Gospels. Uh, there are more in Scripture, but these four, for me, are just really key. first conviction of Jesus is around his identity. Jesus was convinced as to who he was, his identity. He was not just a carpenter for Nazareth. He was the divine son of God. He prays a prayer that Matthew records in his gospel. And Jesus' prayer is like, it goes like this. It says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Jesus was often challenged by others as to who he said he was. Religious leaders in particular hated the implications of what Jesus said and what he did. And their charge against him at times was that he spoke blasphemy by claiming to be the Son of God. There's this interaction that takes place uh, in John's Gospel. So John records a conversation where Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders 
of trying to explain to them his identity. And he says to them, Father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. The religious leaders are horrified with this concept that Jesus is claiming to be around in the days of Abraham or beforehand. And they say, they say to him, you are not yet 50 years old. You have seen Abraham? There's almost this credulity to it. How could you say that? And Jesus answers them, very truly I tell you, for Abraham was born I am. And those two words, I am, were incredibly significant for the Jewish people. That is the, the name of God, the personal name of God, Yahweh, I am who I am. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And we're told that at that point they tried to stone him for it their time would come, their accusation against Jesus. And on the night before they have Jesus crucified, Jesus is brought before the council and the question is asked of him, are you the son of God? And he replies, yes, say that I am. And they charge him with blasphemy and take him to Pilate. Jesus was convinced of his identity. If the disciples had any, any doubts at all about who Jesus was, the resurrection paid to that. Resurrection was proof that Jesus was indeed who he claimed to be, who he said he was, the promised Messiah, the divine Son of God. And this is what the early church, the disciples, this is what they preached. This is what they testified to. This is what they were prepared to die for. Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God, came to us, died for us, and was raised from the dead. One who is both Lord to all, Saviour of all. For them it was the greatest news the world could ever hear. News that changed everything and news that was available. So convinced were they. So much was this their conviction as well, the identity of Jesus, that they would choose death rather than deny Jesus Christ as Lord. All but John executed for their conviction of who Jesus Christ was. There's a story that comes out of the old USSR. The man involved Dimitri. Dimitri was a believer, but all of the churches around his area had been closed down by the Soviet. He was seen as um, dangerous, a Western concept that would be would be well ridden of out of the USSR. And so Dimitri starts gathering with his family. And it's very simple. They gather to read God's word, to pray together and to worship. Some of the neighbours close to them hear them singing, hear the reading and the praying. And so they ask if they can join in. Dimitri says, of course you can. And so a few families start to gather in there. When the gathering gets to around about 25 people, um, military police turn up and they warn him that you have established an illegal church. You must stop meeting. And he kind of goes, it's not a church. We just meet and God's word and pray together and worship. It sounds like church, doesn't it? Uh, anyway, it continues to grow. Uh, when the numbers get to 50, uh, Dimitri loses his job and his children are expelled from school. The numbers continue to grow as people find out that, that this this gathering is taking place when it gets to 75. They receive a visit, this time from uh, from the military. And an amazing thing happens, and you can read about the story. Um, it, it's an amazing thing that happens, which basically renders the military unable to do anything on that night. And so because of this, word spreads through the whole village. And the next week, 150 people turn up, pray together to read God's word together and to worship together. This is too much for the authorities. And so they come and they take Dimitri away and they take him to prison. And... and the transaction, it, it's really simple. You renounce your faith in Jesus Christ. You can go home to your family. He refuses to do that. So whilst he's in jail, it's this terrible jail, 1,500 men in this jail. Every morning in jail, he stands and he faces east, looks out his window. He sings this song. He called it his heart song. He sings this song to Jesus as the jeers from the other prisoners lay down upon him. The other thing he does is he has so much scripture memorized, whenever he has the opportunity, if he finds a bit of charcoal or a pencil, he'll write down the scriptures on anything that he can find. This goes on years and years and years. The equation is always the same. Renounce your faith and you can be free. At one point they even tell him that his wife has been killed and his sons have become state wardens. Still, 
Jesus to renounce his faith. One day he finds um, in the prison yard a, a whole sheet of paper with a pencil next to it, and he is so excited. He takes it back, he smuggles it back to his cell, and he writes on it every scripture that he can fit on, every bit of scripture that he can memorize, he writes on this bit of paper and he sticks it up. He's discovered for it. The prison guards come and they drag him out of jail. And this is years of being in jail. And as he's walking down, no longer are there jeers that come at him. In unison, the men in the jail stand together, begin to sing his heart song. When you have a conviction of the identity of Jesus Christ, you understand that he is always worth it. He's worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our love. He is worthy of obedience. He always. I just want to say, if you develop one conviction in life, this surely is the most important. Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God. Come to us, Lord. Second of Jesus' convictions that just screams to me out of Scripture is, is his calling. He understood his calling in life. He understood that he, had, that he came to save and to seek the lost. He came to reveal the Father. He came to die for, give his life for, a ransom for many. He came to do not his own will, his Father's will. Again, this is the conviction of the early church, that they would be the witnesses of Jesus Christ. This is their calling upon their lives, to take the good news of Jesus Christ to all of the nations. So this is incredible calling that he receives, to be the apostle to the Gentiles. They understood the calling of Christ who came to seek and to save the lost, but they understood their own calling as part of that, to claim the good news of Jesus Christ. For us, it's the same. We are called to follow Christ. We are called to be his witnesses. We are called to be his ambassadors. We are called, as we've spoken about, to be salt and light. The third conviction that I see coming out of scriptures that Jesus held to is that no one is beyond the love and the grace of God. See, in a culture that believed only the rich or the meticulously religious or those from the right pedigree could ever hope to inherit the kingdom of God. Into this, Jesus comes and he says, no, that's not the way it is. The kingdom is for all who are prepared to trust the Father. The kingdom is for all who have faith. And it seems that Jesus goes out of his way to seek the least likely candidates for God's kingdom. A Samaritan woman by a well, a tax collector up a tree, a woman caught in adultery, children who are just being around him, according to the disciples. A Pharisee named Saul with blood on his hands goes out of his way to seek the least likely candidates for the kingdom. You've got the apostle Peter, Peter who would never desert Jesus, the one who disowns him. He finds love and the grace of God given. A criminal on the, on the cross with no credentials at all. It's a declaration about Jesus Christ and receives the promise that today you will be with me. The early church shared this same conviction that no one is beyond the love and the grace of God. The gospel was taken not just to their own, to all. Church history is filled with remarkable stories of Christians reaching out with love and with grace and with selflessness. In a culture, particularly in the Roman Empire, where mercy or humility were considered not character traits but actually weaknesses, Christians embraced these values. And I think at this time there's this illustration that's worth knowing. You see, in the first three centuries of the Christian church, there was a series of devastating plagues throughout the Roman Empire. And there was one particularly in the third century uh, that was horrendous. There were up to 5,000 people uh, a day dying in the capital city of the empire uh, in Rome. And, and people fled the cities. And as they fled, they abandoned the sick. Uh, they abandoned the elderly, the most vulnerable, uh, to the plague that was going on. And amongst those who abandoned it were the physicians, the doctors. Amongst those who abandoned it were, were the educated, uh, those who were the pagan priests. Yet in the midst of this, Christians stayed. They didn't just stay in the city, but they cared for one another, cared for all. The bishops at that time, uh, Dionysius, 
reported that many of our Christian brothers showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Regardless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, tending to their every need, ministering to them. You know, the impact on Christianity during that time was so incredibly significant. The way in which Christians reached out and cared for all people, who stayed and looked after the sick and the vulnerable, often at cost, great cost, even to the cost of their lives, made such a mark on the Roman Empire that there was just this incredible attraction of people to the Christian faith. People gave their hearts to Jesus Christ because what these people knew. People were being salt and light. These people was ex- were expressing selfless love and grace, and this was so attractive. It was so attractive. The vast numbers in the Roman Empire to Christianity. You know, and the same heart exists today as many Christians amongst many individuals, amongst many churches, amongst mission organisations and other organisations. They're convinced that no one is beyond the love of God. Mission organisations and Christians continue to reach out with love and grace to all people, regardless of their status, regardless of what has gone on in their past, reach out with love. And this is the calling point, part of the calling of our conviction comes from knowing that there's no one far. And the last conviction is this. Jesus was absolutely convinced eternity is. John 3.16, we know this. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. He speaks of the restoration of all things, the recreation of all things, and he assures us that death is not end. Speaking to his disciples in John 14, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. You also will be here. Jesus was so convinced eternity exists. He come from eternity. He lives in eternity. He calls us to live in eternity. The Apostle Paul puts it this way at the conclusion of Romans 8. He says, For I am convinced neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, we are to separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even death itself can separate us. And for the early church, this is not just a, a philosophy. It's not just a great idea or a happy thought or a ponder. For the early church, this is their conviction. And it shaped their lives. It shaped their decisions. It shaped their attitudes. Jesus' disciples never sought death. They did not fear it. They were convinced that eternity is. I want to finish by saying this again. Our convictions matter. I also want to say that our convictions, the ones that I've outlined, they are good news. This is good news that God has come to us. This is good news that we have a calling and a purpose in our lives. This is good news that no one is too far. No one is beyond the love and the grace of God. It's good news. Good news when it is. Of themselves holding these convictions attractive, it's not the whole story. Because what is of equal, if not greater importance, is how we live. Like what the Apostle Peter writes in his letter, talking about when we're challenged by the faith or challenged for the convictions that we have, he says, give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. As we live out our convictions, as we speak of our convictions, as we embody them, we need to do it with gentleness and respect. How can I encourage each one of us? Form convictions, to grow in your convictions. Like Jesus in the early church, also seek to live them out. Live them out in relationship with God. Live them out with spiritual authority. Live them out with genuine compassion and love and grace and truth. Live them out everywhere. Each one of us live Christ-imitating lives by the power of his Holy Spirit, being salt and light in every place that God orders. So allow me to pray for you.
Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the picture we receive of Jesus Christ and just the convictions that shaped every aspect of his life and life. But just as he knew who he was, how he knew his calling, expression of love and grace is in invitation into the kingdom, understanding of eternity. Lord, I pray that we would live in light of those same truths. Father, thank you that you do not leave us to do this life alone, but that your Holy Spirit helps form and to shape these convictions as we read your word. And may we encourage one another in unity. Father, may we never live in such a way that makes these convictions unattractive. We live in such a way that people are drawn to us, to the person of Jesus Christ. This for your glory.